0: In South America, social democracy was overthrown. But guess what? Social democracy is back. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive.
1: Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to
0: shock. If there's one thing Washington cannot abide more than a working social democracy, it's a working social democracy in Latin America. End of quote. That's from our guest today, Patrick Lawrence, who knows his international political history, having been a correspondent abroad for many years, chiefly for the International Herald Tribune. I missed that paper. What is this about? Why does a working social democracy in Latin America cause such heartburn in Washington? After all, they're sovereign nations. One might assume that if the United States were the protector of self-government against foreign domination and control, that at least some Democrats here might follow the lead of President Jimmy Carter and not interfere in domestic politics in Central and South America. And while knowledge of American politics is pretty significant in most of the world, the sad reality is there's little awareness or interest in the politics and news from other countries here in the U.S. Bolivia, for example, but the reality of political and social movements there remains internationally important and rather exciting, actually, to many people across the world. And yes, that very much includes us in North America. Our returning guest is Patrick Lawrence, a columnist, essayist, author, and lecturer. His most recent book, which I highly recommend, Time No Longer, Americans After the American Century, published by Yale. You can follow him on Twitter at TheFlautist. His website is Patrick Lawrence. And he's got a new project coming out, which we'll talk about before the end of the show, called The Scrum. And his new article is titled Talk of Another Pink Tide. Well, to start out with, Another Pink Tide that's not like uh, uh, some dangerous thing out in the ocean what what was the
2: it's not about algae right <laughs>
0: right what what is if this is another pink tide what was the earlier pink tide
2: the earlier pink tide was roughly the turn of our century when Latin Americans were finding their feet in a, a key point here a post Cold War environment okay and um, a number of important social-democratic political figures uh, came to power, most famously Lula in uh, Ignacio da Silva in, in Brazil, sorry, yes. Michel Bachelet was part of that in Chile, a former political prisoner under Pinochet. These sort of figures, okay, uh, mm-hmm. Rafael Correa in Ecuador eventually emerged Right.
0: I believe that was during the early Bush years that uh, perhaps there was some resistance to to Bushism.
2: Latin America was changing colors, right? Yeah. Uh, changing political complexion. It was an excellent thing. Um, when we say working working social democracy, oh, we right. mean working for the people who who inhabit the country, right? Imagine, uh, imagine working that. for its own people, um, and that's that's the key point here
0: pretty radical
2: (laughs) yeah the american way in latin america is Mm -hmm. that governments work less for their own people than for multinational investors and you know the the anti-communist crusade and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth
1: Mm -hmm.
2: hence hence generations of dreadful murderous dictators and so forth. We Americans ought to be ashamed of what we've done in Latin America.
0: Oh, but we helped the profits of uh, United Fruit Company and companies like that. But those days, uh, maybe, maybe they're behind us, although history changes very slowly. But there is talk of another pink tide. The listeners of this podcast tend to be an exceptionally well-educated bunch. Most of the listeners, I'm sure, know where Bolivia is, at least Roughly. Same with me. Okay. You
2: know, Bert, you, uh, you remind me of an old expression in newspapers. What's that? And I, I assume from your remark, your listeners are exceptions. It goes this way. Americans will do anything for Latin America except read about it.
0: <laughs> well, all they have to do is listen here. No, they should read your stuff as well. So the listeners may also know that until fairly recently, the president of Bolivia was a rather exciting figure, Evo Morales. He was the very first indigenous head of a government in a country with a majority indigenous. Not surprisingly, prior to Morales, a few families with interest in natural gas resources, of which the country has much, were in charge. Hmm. Morales is a socialist, and of course aimed at spreading the wealth among the average citizens. Guess which interests were not too keen on the new direction? Again, not surprisingly, he was ousted after being reelected fairly recently to a fourth term. He had to leave the country for his own safety. But what is indeed surprising is a new turn in a very recent election. So here's where our guest Patrick Lawrence comes in. Please take it from here. Who is the new president? And tell us about the coup engineered by the U.S. that the new guy stunningly beat
2: back. The new man is uh, named Luis Arce and uh, he was um, Evo's economics and finance minister two portfolios
1: uh, and
2: was Morales' designated uh, successor once Morales was ousted. Now let's Let's explain the coup very briefly. Sure, uh, yes. There were elections uh, last year, last autumn, uh, and uh, Morales was running for a fourth term. Uh, and um, the he was going to take it, okay? Uh, and um, what happened at this point was uh, the local sort of comprador class and the military were mobilized uh, to um, effectively disrupt the election. Mm -hmm. Uh, The U.S. had a very significant hand in this. It went this way. Uh, The count was proceeding. This is interesting because of what's Uh going on in our country now. The count was proceeding. There are two counts. There's an informal count, and then there's a formal binding vote count. Right, the informal count stopped for a bit. No big deal. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, the accusation was that the formal vote count stopped, and when it resumed, Morales went zooming ahead and won by I think ten percentage points.
1: Okay. Oh. Oh.
2: Now, what actually happened was, and this was analyzed by an excellent, paying attention, honest think tank in Washington. They did. a thorough analysis of this, okay? Uh There was no vote fraud. The formal count was never stopped. What happened was the last votes to come in were naturally votes from remote rural Uh districts where, you know, it it just takes time to get those votes in, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is a perfectly ordinary, proper, valid explanation for the pattern in the voting result, where Morales pulled ahead decisively in the latter part of the vote count. That's what happened. Right. Mm. There's no ambiguity about that. This was put up as voter fraud. Oh, geez. Okay. The uh, Organization of American States, as I said in my column, Orgy of American subterfuge is more like it, came in and did a, 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 an absolutely n- nonsense, uh, s- supposedly detached analysis of the election, and confirmed there was fraud. Okay, The OAS has been an instrument of American policy for nearly as long as it, it exists. Uh, it's headquartered in Washington, and the U.S. is the primary funder. Okay, mm. so you get this all over the place. Nominally independent institutions, another famous one at this point is the uh, Chemical uh, OPCW or Organization for the Prohibition of uh, Chemical Weapons. Uh, they're nominally uh, independent; they're not at all right. Uh, so they came in and certified a fraud. The army moved in, wow. um, basically invaded Morales' residence destroyed it and drove him into exile a few days in Mexico. And then, uh, Carlos Fernandez, the president of Argentina, uh, and another sort of pink tighter, right? Uh, offered him exile and that's where he's been. And that's the story. Uh, so the, the new crowd Basically, Spanish-speaking Caucasians—they're called Ladinos in Latin America—came uh, in, uh, rather viciously attacked. They—they uh, they were put off uh, because they couldn't abide by an indigenous president there. You know, they're—they're they're just accustomed to centuries of of what amounts to white rule down there, right? Uh, yeah, came in and promised new elections and got as much done as they could in the interim by way of reversing Morales' programs. Um, But it wasn't much. They they promised an election and they had to have one. Luis Arce, we now Mm -hmm. come back to the beginning, uh, Mm -hmm. won by an absolute trounce. I think it was 52% to 31%, the conservative candidate. The conservative candidate, graciously enough, conceded even be, before the count was done. Right, so that's where we are now. Morales has come back uh, from Argentina in an absolute triumph. He he uh, has been going through, or just finished driving through Bolivia
1: mm. in a
2: sort of caravan. Mm. Uh, greeted we have video of to this effect uh, greeted all over the country with you know jubilant uh, uh, crowds and so forth quite impressive so that's that's where we are now
0: well thank you for that and i've I've long said that the ideal political state is dancing in the streets and (laughs) there was a little bit of that that's what you got oh yeah that's it's
2: and little footnote here, Bert. Yes. Um, one of the only uh, journalists reporting in Bolivia for English language audiences a guy mm-hmm. named Ali Vargas, okay?
0: Okay.
2: He was shooting video of um, Morales' return, the caravan, and so forth. I mentioned a moment ago we, yes. have, we have video of this. It's right there, right? Uh, I would say black and white, but the video's full of these magnificently colored uh, we peel uh, indigenous Bolivians where it's quite a spectacle right oh yeah now. wonderful colors uh, Vargas' twitter account was uh, suspended huh? with or no apparent reasons huh? so he was prevented from posting his video you know here we are here we we United States of America in 2020
0: oh my goodness if we
2: don't like it we won't let you see it
0: yeah Really, uh freedom of the press, I remember that, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know i I don't know that much about Bolivia. I know you know it's like in the central uh, area of of South America, and I understand there's significant natural gas there, and it I, I don't know much about the ruling class, assuming there was one. Uh, who are the people that led the coup against Morales, a group you call? crucifix-waving Latino racists. Uh, one has to assume big money is involved. Tell us about them, please. You have a little bit. How about, you know, who, what what are their sure. economic
2: interests? You have to understand, uh, countries like Bolivia, Bolivia is quite a bit, even by Latin American standards, an exceptionally poor country. And there's been no real evolution until Morales. No, no real devolution of power to uh, local populations. Um, You had a a kind of thin crust of uh, Ladino-class business people, ideologues, and so forth, uh, running the country. The transition away from that was unusually abrupt. There was no gradual turn toward... A kind of modernized political system. It was very abrupt with the with the election of Morales. This this group was quite shocked, right? Uh, and never really accepted Morales. Uh, he's yeah, had sure. problems with them the entire time of his in, in all his entire time in office. Uh, um, and uh, so these people are about business. They're about foreign investors. Mm-hmm and they have this rather peculiar uh, they have this rather p- peculiar imagery well it's uh, they're very high on the bible and the crucifix and everything uh, mm-hmm. these are all symbolic of of you know spanish you know western culture okay mm-hmm. so it was, it, it's sort of a confrontation with these people on the on the cultural level mm-hmm. and the ideological level it's a confrontation between West and non-West, if you will, all uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. But the material aspect is is hardly to be overlooked. It's, uh, Bolivia is, is just immensely resource-rich, right? Uh-huh. Tin, lithium, natural gas, you know, those are the big ones, right? It, it reminds me of my years in Malaysia, you know? Ma- Malaysia was uh, tin, indeed, again, Palm oil, rubber, right? Uh, uh, oil. These resource-rich countries are are always going to have these sorts of problems. Uh-huh. Uh, who gets it? Where? Who sells it? Uh, who profits, and right. so forth, right? Uh, yeah. And so, uh, until Morales came along, it was all about, you know, the the familiar phenomenon of uh, foreign resource exploitation. Okay, yeah. the, the 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 really. Tragic, egregious one was the privatization. Uh, your listeners better be sitting down. Uh, yeah. The privatization of Bolivia's water supply, right? Uh, uh, and instantly, the cost of water, right? It's sort of coming right out of the ground, right? Uh, instantly, uh, the cost of drinking a glass of water went went uh, up to the point where, in 19. 19- Late 90s, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last few weeks of 1999 uh, into spring of 2000, these these massive protests uh, against the privatization Jeez. of Bolivian water. It's good for the Bolivians. It got so out of hand they had to reverse the privatization.
0: Incredible.
2: Um, yeah, after that, you know, the questions are natural gas. That was a big one. Uh, Evo nationalized um, natural gas. When he came into office, the big companies there are Repsol, Spanish producer, and Shell. Okay, he didn't throw them out of the country. He nat- he nationalized um, in cooperation with those companies, mm. Um, mm. <clears throat> with a, a new Brazilian company, with a, a new Bolivian company, uh, running the show. You know, kind of mm. like. Pemex, or in Mexico, or whatever it's called in Venezuela, etc. You know, it's it's sort of a, a faint echo of uh, yeah. what happened in uh, in Iran in in the early fifties. Uh, uh, Mossadegh mm-hmm. nationalized uh, Anglo Iranian oil, and mm-hmm. uh, the next thing you know, there was a coup. Yeah,
1: right?
0: indeed, um, there was.
2: And, so the big things, the big thing now is is. Again, natural gas. Uh, there were gas interests, emphatically, there were gas interests behind the coup ousting Evo last a year ago this month, mm-hmm. right? uh, a year ago this week, indeed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, um, and, and another big one now is lithium, right? Um,
1: oh, right. That's... Lithium,
2: they've got a lot of it, and uh, lithium is going to be ever more key as we electrify cars and things like that you know oh,
1: yeah. it's elon
2: cute. musk who runs tesla rather pitifully a few weeks ago i think uh, was talking about the bolivian coup right uh, mm. and washington has never acknowledged that it. it's a coup you have to understand of uh, course uh, not. They're, they're still in the fiction that it was voter fraud well, it'll be
0: interesting as we go ahead here. And uh, for those of you yeah. who have just tuned in, Burt Cohen here. The show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about keeping democracy alive in Bolivia. In fact, a another pink tide sweeping across perhaps a lot of Latin America. And the U.S. government can't stand it. Uh, and our guest <laughs> today is uh, Patrick Lawrence, columnist and uh, essayist and... Uh, just a wealth of knowledge about uh, international politics, so what has Eva Morales and this new uh, leader, uh, Louis Arce, what are they doing to lift up the impoverished indigenous economically? how are they uh, helping their you know economic situation? as you say, they're exceptionally poor yeah. even by Latin American standards. so what, what are they doing?
2: well the the poverty numbers have come way down. Your listeners ought not quote me precisely, but I think poverty, the poverty rate came down from 60-odd percent to 30-odd percent, I think. Um, 30-odd percent is a pretty high yeah. poverty rate, yeah. uh, but um, a, a huge improvement. And, of course, he was going to go further.
0: And wasn't there uh, something about farming trout and cultivating grassroots union leaders to help
2: uh, yeah, all kinds of imaginative things, yeah. Bert. You know, um, at the at the macro level, I, 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 you know, the the nationalization of gas, mm. gas profits are now serving Boliv- Bolivian Bolivian, uh, going into the interests are in the interests of Bolivian people. Um, it's exactly it's a, it's a it's straight out from uh, Hugo Chavez uh-huh. uh, in in Venezuela. Uh, use oil profits to the benefit of Venezuelans, right? And you had the same thing, right? Uh, You've got uh, hospitals, you know, healthcare, literacy, education, a parade, a riot of um, grassroots NGOs in the interests of women and indigenous people and rural labor and so on and so forth. So, you know, this is the, this is the, the weave of you know the weave of a of a sustaining self-sustaining social democracy by by way of uh, you know s- social s- social organizations and stuff you know the, mm. the the kind of the kind of fiber of a of a working social democracy that was all coming into place and I think Arse is going to just carry it on. Sure. Um, he well, you know he leads the very movement that. Evo started movement for socialism.
0: And they're still there. And you mentioned Venezuela. Boy, is that a hot-button word. Any Trump supporter here in North America would instantly (laughs) react rather negatively at the mention of that country. The U.S. has been rebuffed again and again, trying to oust President Maduro, who has apparently caused great suffering there following Hugo Chavez back when oil prices were high. Now, the Trumpists claim they want to oust uh, Maduro because he's a dictator. You don't suppose there's another reason why Trump and his team have been so focused on Venezuela, do
2: you? Maduro, I I don't think he has the charisma of Chavez. No one one would question Chavez as a a very kind of compellingly charismatic man, right? Uh, um, He is Chavez's... Uh, chosen successor Um, and by all appearances commands uh, a a goodly amount of Chavez's support right Um, but the Americans just can't keep their hands off off Venezuela because it's a The oil reserves are among the largest in the world, certainly the largest in Latin America. Uh, And the natural gas reserves are are the largest in Latin America, parentheses Bolivia's are the second largest. As you note, the U.S. has failed in Venezuela, and um, if you look at the Bolivian situation squarely and and reject the American explanation that Evo resigned, He didn't resign. Uh, uh, If you recognize it as the coup it was, you're looking at two very, very considerable failures here. Uh, And and that's very important. That kind of goes into the history books in Latin America.
0: Uh, So much interesting. We have other
2: failures. Uh, Nicaragua uh, counts as a failure now, and certainly Cuba counts as a failure. right? we're making life miserable as best we can, but uh, uh, we're you know so we have to look forward and see how this is going to play out. I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure I share your optimism that it might that the American conduct in Latin America might now change. Yeah, Arce is already having very serious problems. He he dodged an explosive device uh, in his. <laughs> headquarters office just a few days ago yeah uh and um got out unscathed but they blew up his office uh Mm -hmm. and uh some of these groups uh we were just talking about uh uh, all the all the ngos and so forth sort of declared a a, an informal state of emergency uh Uh because um the you know the the sort of goons of, of the Ladino class were, were um, asking a- actively asking the army to intervene once again mm. with a coup right and, and this is one of Morales's problems not shared by Maduro. Maduro has the army on his side.
0: Uh-huh, true.
2: Morales does not.
0: Right. Interesting. Well, I'm thinking about here, uh, there's this uh, orange uh, thing in the White House that uh, was really hoping that the military uh, would back him up on uh, cracking down on dissenters here. But uh, so he had to fire the head of the uh, Defense Department uh, because he wouldn't go along with using the military against American people. Uh,
2: Yes. May I I mention something here? Oh, please do. The Venezuela, the American sanctions blitz, and all that. We had a we had the peculiar incident a few months ago a couple of ex special forces nitwits actually landed on the Venezuelan coast, intending the purpose be, a sort of two-man bay of pigs, right? Uh, um, and they were captured. Right. So they're they're relentless. A, 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 the the campaign against Venezuela has intensified markedly recently, let's say the last uh, two years, I would say. I'm not sure this is Trump's work. We always yeah, have to re- remember there's Trump and there are the people around Trump. Right?
0: And it didn't um, start with Trump.
1: He, he And, has...
2: and yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm not quite certain. Well, I know in cases like North Korea, let's not go too far afield here, yeah, yeah. but Trump wanted to make a deal with the North Koreans, and I think that's a very wise thing to attempt. Uh, he was foiled by Secretary of State Pompeo and, and the egregious John Bolton. That's on paper, right? And I think the Venezuelan campaign is Pompeo's work more than
0: Trump's. Uh, maybe so. Well, Pompeo certainly has his uh, eyes set on higher office, perhaps who knows in 2024, but who knows? And you point out that the State Department sent out a congratulatory note to the president-elect, Louis Luis Arce. And, and you ask, is this postscript or preface? We had better think this through. And as you say, think with history. I love that phrase, think with history. And why do you have, as you say, little reason to think this story is over now? That. Please explain what you mean by that.
2: Think with history. Uh, the late Karl Schorske, a really grand man, uh, historian uh, at Princeton. One of his better-known books is called "Fantasy at Vienna," and he published late in life a, a book of essays called, uh, titled Th- "Thinking with History." Right? Uh, and he meant simply: always view events in the context of the history that produced them, okay? I'm, I'm all for that. One can't understand the present without reference, a thorough reference to the past. And what I meant was, um, okay, we've had a great victory, uh, or Bolivians have had a great victory uh, in, in, just now with the uh, triumphant election of Luis Arce. But uh, let's put this in context. This is not necessarily the end of the story, no. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we're already on notice to this effect. I mentioned um, uh, calls for a, a, a second military coup, um, mm. uh, an explode, you know, there, an explosion in Arce's uh, yes. head office at MAS, the Movement for Socialism. You, you know, we got to watch this space, Bert. <laughs> You know, we don't really know now. All these other candidates I mentioned in the column—Peru, Chile, and Ecuador—that yes. right? uh, th- would be a lot of coup work if they really went to town on all yeah. this. So I don't, you know, I, 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 uh, I, one doesn't really know how Washington is going to yes. react. Uh, last time around, they just hammered away, um, you know, with. With uh, they with neoliberal ideologues, you know, cultivating neoliberal uh, ideologues in these countries, and, yes. and um, people were done in on corruption charges, Lula, right, which were not, which were not valid, right, um, right. In sum, we have to watch. Yes, uh, there's a tar- nice. If if this pink tide does materialize. Things are who knows what, but uh, there, there's more to go here.
0: Well, I was no doubt naive back when Obama first took office. I thought, well, perhaps there'll be a better, you know, American policy toward our southern neighbors. And then very quickly thereafter, in 2009, his then-secretary of state, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, kind of uh, nod and winked to a coup in Honduras and so mm. it kept going and kept going. And you know obviously this goes on since uh, you know since just after uh, the Second World War that that we thought uh, that we we described that area as our backyard. How incredibly remember insulting. Remember that
2: phrase? Oh. Some of your listeners were oh,
0: Yeah, the older ones. <laughs> Me for example. And yeah the what is the Boliv- Bolivarian ideal? The article quotes Miguel Diaz Canel. Uh, Cuba's first post-Castro leader, saying the Bol- uh, Bolivarian ideal is reborn. What is the Bolivarian ideal? You can't go anywhere uh, in South and Central America without seeing the name Simon Bolivar. What is his influence to this day, and how might that be manifesting itself in this perhaps new pink tide?
2: Simon Bolivar was an 18th century um, political leader uh of Spanish extraction mm. um, and stood for the unification and uh, independence of Latin America, mm-hmm. right? The, notably, the sort of north central part, right? Uh, uh-huh. He wanted to make one nation, uh, one sort of sturdy nation out of them, uh-huh. uh, decolonized. Independent and all that, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. uh, really nice. A, a, a too brief summary, but that's who Bolivar was, and um, that's why Bolivia is named Bolivia. Yes, uh, and, and that's why uh, Hugo Chavez referenced Bolivar uh, constantly. That was
1: sure.
2: that was the stamp of his time, right? Uh, and, and that's what. Uh, the Cuban leader meant when he said the Bolivarian ideal and lives.
0: It, it seems to apply to the to new developments in Chile. A recent vote in Chile, part of this pink tide, perhaps, is uh, bringing back the left, which was ousted in a Kissinger-led violent, bloody coup, September 11, nineteen seventy-three, which ousted the popular uh, Ayende. How, how? Tell us about how Chile may now be part of a new pink tide. That's a pretty interesting and hopeful situation as well.
2: Yeah, truly. Um, The constitution that Chileans live under today was drafted and promulgated during the Pinochet years. And it was, uh, as your listeners will have no trouble imagining, very strongly tilted toward Foreign investors created dreadful concentrations of wealth mm. uh, and inequality. Uh, I think just last year the a UN commission reckoned that uh, a quarter of Chilean national income goes to one percent of the Chilean population. All right like, this is Jeez. these are the consequences of that constitution mm. um, so and.
0: They're making a new one, I guess.
2: Yeah, they voted. Uh, let's see. They they voted uh, just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, let me let me try to remember here. They they voted uh, uh, around uh, October twenty fourth or so yeah. t- in a referendum, long-planned referendum. It was supposed to occur earlier, but the coronavirus uh, uh, caused a postponement.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, do you want a new constitution? And who do you want to write it? If you do, who do you want to write it? Okay. Um, Remarkable returns. Seventy-eight percent of those who voted in the referendum said yes. A new one, and their preference is for a constitutional. The, The question was, who writes it? The sitting Congress, or do you want a new, a newly chosen? constitutional convention. They went for a newly chosen constitutional convention and members of Chilean Congress are not automatically included in it, right? So Chileans plainly know the score, okay? Um, They sure do. And uh, uh, they're now scheduled to vote um, sometime in 2022 Uh for this. And it's a it's a you know it, 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 it's not the way it, it's not an election as we're discussing in Chile uh, in beg your pardon, in bolivia. it's it's not an election such as the other three I mentioned coming up in Latin America, but it's a very, very big deal uh, for Chileans. It will change the
1: course of the country That's really. yeah, very,
0: very exciting. And I remember back when I was in college in the early. 70s, uh, we were taught, I studied Latin American governments, and that Chile had the longstanding, most solid democracy. That all ended, of course. Thank you, Henry Kissinger. Mm. And uh, brutal, horrible dictatorship that, uh, of course, the U.S. supported. But back to uh, uh, Bolivia. One of the South American media outlets, a big one as you mentioned, is Telesur. Their La Paz mm. La Paz is the capital. Uh, Larry La Paz's correspondents talked about something called a unity pact. What, tell us about that, please. What is that?
2: The unity pact uh, is was uh, a kind of broad alliance. I'm honestly not quite sure pact is the term, but that's what they're calling it. Uh,
1: yeah. Um,
2: a broad alliance of these NGOs, this dense weave of NGOs, um, Again, representing the interests of indigenous people, uh, rural farmers, you know, uh, rural workers, uh, industrial workers, women, right? All these different constituencies, and I'm not going to w- use the word intersectional. Thank you very much. Pulling them all together so they speak with one voice—that's what she's talking about. Ah. you know, yeah, in, in, you know, uh, strength through unity, sort of thing, right? So they have a voice in oblivion politics now, and that. That's the instrument through which they speak.
0: Ah, that sounds reasonably good. And, of course, it's threatening yeah. the powers that be in Washington and in the corporate boardrooms all
2: across. Yeah. Uh... I mean, Go ahead. building a social democracy is is kind of a, a, a quiet, laborious, well, not always quiet, but yeah. you know, a steady, laborious, not always visible effort at weaving, basically, uh, of forming connections between, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, among the population that didn't previously exist because the, the system was not made to reflect their interests. Right. Yes. So it's, you know, uh, I gather if you, I've never been to Cuba, but I, I, haven't I gather, it. uh, it's a very prominent feature of Cuban life, uh, these sort of ground-level institutions, you know, that that uh, pull people together, uh, create basically a prevalent sense of commu- consciousness uh-huh. of community. Right?
0: Boy, and, you know, you talk about, and I'm, I'm hoping to have Thomas Frank on the show within the next few weeks.
2: Oh, good for you. He's, He's an interesting man.
0: Yeah, and talking about populism, and I think what you're <clears> describing, <throat> you know, there's the right-wing populism, uh, and uh-huh. then there's there's left-wing populism. And I think, you know, working from the ground up, having local people, communities involved, that can appeal, I do believe, to a lot of people that your traditional, you know, Democratic politics, uh, Democratic Party politics don't reach, and they feel left out, uh, and they, they, they don't like feeling left out. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is Patrick Lawrence, a columnist, essayist, author, and lecturer. And I'll plug his book again, Time No Longer Americans After the American Century. And I think we are just at the beginning of that period right now. And we shall see. And we're talking about a new column he wrote about uh, talking, uh, talk of another pink tide throughout uh, Central and South America. And one of the big countries down there in terms of geography, of course, is Brazil. They now have a pretty right-wing president, uh, Bolsonaro, good buddy of outgoing President Trump. Uh, tell us, please, about his, his predecessor, uh, and I may not pronounce this right, Luiz Ignacio da Silva, known as Lula. In what ways yeah. did he epitomize the pink tide? And what about his strength from here on uh, going forward?
2: Lula, I, I happen to be in Brazil um... When Lula first ran oh, cool. uh, for president, it was, uh, let me da, da, da. it would have been 1989, I think,
1: hmm. or 90,
2: 1990. And uh, it was, you know, Brazil was really on kind of high alert. Wow, this guy is going to do something new if he gets elected. Lula's background was labor, okay? Um, and he lost that election, but he won the next one. Uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. began reversing uh, the decades of political culture that accumulated after the military coup in 64, parentheses, supported by the U.S.
0: Oh, surprise, surprise.
2: Um, And so he began doing, uh, in Brazil, what we're talking about Uh with reference to other countries now. Um, A couple of things to note. Brazil is a very, very large country, has an extremely powerful business class uh, and, you know, a, an immensely diverse population. And uh, Brazilian political culture is lively, uh, to put the point mildly, yep. right? Um, uh, very kind of tumultuous. Um, and they got Lula on corruption charges. Uh. Um, and he was removed from office. Uh, I think he was served some time in prison. Yeah, I think
0: uh, that sounds familiar. That thing. sounds right.
2: So he's now been cleared. Oh, oh uh, barred from public office. That was the big thing. He's now cleared. He remains a voice in Brazilian politics. They did his successor, Dilma. Um, they did her in, too, right? Mm. Uh Uh, quarantined her in the presidential palace until they finished the work of discrediting her and got her out of office, too. Again, no kind of violent coup, right? -hmm. No contras. Mm
1: -hmm. um,
2: But they got her out, too. So in comes Bolsonaro, a really serious setback, I will say, not only for Brazilian people, but for the whole wide world. Um, This guy is absolutely frightening, uh, Uh, his environmental policies, the Brazilians are, you know, they are responsible for the Amazon basin, the so-called lungs of the earth, right? Uh, Right. And it's just, you read the papers and you just say, why is humanity standing by while this guy ruins our chances of long-term survival, well, that raises very large questions about the nation-state and sovereignty and all that. And we can't get into that today. No. But, uh, um, but is there, there's but still that's a, the story in Brazil.
0: There's right? still a left there, is there not? I mean, they haven't crushed it completely, have they?
2: No, they haven't. But it's certainly out of power yeah. for the time being. For the um, time
0: being, things do change. You know,
2: and, things do change, but it's a big again. It's a very, very big country. I oh, um, can't imagine. And, and yeah, and uh, the the right there is quite powerful.
0: Yeah, and they've been and, making war. Been you know, just Bolsonaro. harvesting the jungle, the the lungs of the earth. Yeah, we know, and it's we need to pay more attention to that. Yeah, and you know, it seems like all this stuff started with the the growth of the uh, OSS and then the CIA after World War II. When uh, somehow uh, the Monroe Doctrine was meant, was taken to mean we own the entire hemisphere. Uh-huh. And yeah. so many nations, uh, not just in uh, Central and South America, but across the world, were seeking self rule during the Cold War, were jammed into the Cold War box of global monolithic communist domination. Perhaps the fear of communism was a cover story. Now you say, Quote, if there's one thing the U.S. fears more than any communist threat, it's a working social democracy that will attract other nations to follow in the same path, end of quote, and that a working social democracy is a particularly strong motivation in our foreign policy. Why Why is that? And yeah. why, why is this so powerful to the world?
2: Because social democracies uh, have the prospect of success, right? Right. Uh, a working, sustainable success, um, a, a sort of su- Swedish uh, outcome, right? And uh, they will prove exceedingly contagious uh, it, once you have one that's working. Others around them say, well, why are we accepting uh, our own exploitation
1: yeah.
2: uh, at the hands of a despotic ruling class, Um Uh, And um, social democracies work, uh, underscore, once again, we touched on this earlier, uh, work for the people of that country, not for foreign investors. Mm. Um, These things are uh, unconscionable in in Washington. Mm. Right? Uh, The Monroe Doctrine, to mention it just briefly, was uh, advanced. What it meant at the beginning was that. The young United States would not tolerate the the intrusions and interventions of European colonial powers. Right? Mm-hmm. Re- remember, when we were young, we had we felt quite a lot of animosity toward the old Europeans. Right? Um,
0: and colonial. Uh, and
2: we we are not going to let that happen in our hemisphere. That's right. what it meant. Right. What it turned out in what it turned out to mean in practice was. You stay out. We're going to do whatever we want. <laughs> right. We we are going to do in Latin America everything that we forbade you to do. <laughs> uh, uh, it, I mean, I am forgive your listeners must forgive me for simplification, but I wouldn't I wouldn't true. say oversimplification.
0: Right? Not at all. And Jimmy Carter seemed to be an exception. He, my understanding is, he did not intervene. When Nicaragua overthrew its U.S.-backed Somoza dictatorship in 1979, we're soon to begin the Biden era. There are hints that Biden is looking to end our coup culture in Latin America. And you, uh, and there's a quote from uh, Jake Sullivan, who is a heavyweight in the Biden uh, foreign policy team, saying, "Quote: The vice president fundamentally believes that the United States should be operating in mutual respect." and a sense of shared responsibility now i don't i personally if i'm going to you know purchase lithium i'd rather have the money go to the local people
2: you know but but you are but you're you, not elon musk
0: ah, this is true
2: you you're, and you're not the commerce department
0: Oh, for sure oh, the commerce department you are dubious that about what jake Sullivan is saying that there might be a, a real uh, change in that we could operate out of mutual respect and a sense yep. of shared responsibility. Why Why yep. are you
2: dubious? Why? Well, um, in the specific, Jake Sullivan is a confirmed exceptionalist. Uh, he wrote a piece in The Atlantic uh, a couple of years back uh, talking about the new exceptionalism, right? Anyone who yeah. writes in the, me, meaning uh, uh, America, is, right. it, it's a, a defense of global leadership is the is the common currency. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your listeners probably already understand this. Global leadership is a polite phrase for hegemony. Yes. Okay.
1: Imperialism. Um,
2: uh, That's in the specific. Jake Sullivan uh, is nobody to look to for proper foreign policy of the sort Americans could be proud of. Mm. Um, More generally, let us think with history. Yes. This sort of rhetoric has been around for a long, long time. A long time. Um, uh, you get it all the time, it, it, you know, every, probably every secretary of state you can think of, including, uh, Pompeo, he's always yabbering on about democracy and freedom. Uh, That's not what it's all about. Those are words. Yes. Right. Um, I, I, in the specific, once again, I do not see Biden pulling back on the Venezuela campaign. Uh, I I do not see him controlling the intelligence agencies as they go about their business in Bolivia. Mm. Right? Uh I do not see him telling uh Intel to desist in Nicaragua where they're still at it. Yes. I do not see him reversing Trump's reversal of the Cuba policy, right?
1: Uh, yeah, true.
2: No, I just don't I don't see that. These these were, you know, their words are words and it is said words are actions but uh, uh th- they're not really worth much until until one sees and and, and this is i um, just named a few things we are not going to see under biden
0: well if I, I just wanted to ask we don't have much time left i wanted to mention your scrum thing but for, for now wouldn't it i can picture again maybe i'm naive that if the us no longer owns and controls the governments in latin american nations that there could be improved relations with the U.S. as a result of their citizens having better lives. I- isn't that, at least in theory, possible?
2: Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, some really lovely books have been written um, uh, over the decades. Uh, one that's on my shelf, I'm rather fond of, by a, by a man named Waldo Frank um, called The Rediscovery of America. Oh. And in it, he argues that the true America will not come, the true New World will not come into being until the, the spirit and, and vitality of Latin America is combined with the industriousness and rectitude of North America. Uh, and then we will have a true New World yeah. man, sort of thing, right? Uh, yeah. It's a lovely book. Others have argued it. Uh, there's a famous one uh, by a, a Brazil scholar. Um, it's called Prospero's Mirror. It's not in English yet, only in Portuguese. Uh, no.
1: um,
2: but this is a, a its a wonderful theme, uh, as you can tell. I'm very uh, inspired by it. Right? There are
0: alternatives. And so,
2: yes, uh, uh, lots and lots of things would be, Americans would be vastly better off if we unburdened ourselves of of, you know, the, the, the quotation marks duty to lead the world, uh, right? America. I couldn't agree with you more on that point.
0: America after the American century. Your book is titled Time No Longer. That's in there as well. Scrum. What is Scrum? <laughs> I got to put a plug in there for that. Tell me Thank about you very your new project, it. Scrum.
2: Uh, there were five of us in a, in a group we gather for dinner in the West Village or something, uh, talking on the phone all the time, uh, and we were kind of comrades in arms uh, on the same page with questions such as Russiagate and all that. Uh, um, and uh, we lost to... I, I took to calling us the Scrum, okay, just a nickname. And one member of this group was Steve Cullen, the noted Russianist. Oh, yeah. Uh, we lost him to cancer a few yes. weeks ago. And yes. two days before we lost... Steve, we lost another really interesting man uh, named Cheryl Sweninger. So our fivesome was down to three. We three gathered in New York for supper, and I said, hey, guys, let's start a publication. Um, And, and, you know, Substack is a really effective platform if you get it right. We talked it through over pasta and wine. Mm. Uh, what are we going to call it? You know, uh, my my uh, my nomination was outside agitators.
1: No. I said, you know,
2: maybe we don't want to be so irreverent, and and one of the others said, why don't we call it the Scrum? So there we are, and and, and we are three of us, um, myself, James Cardin, and, and uh, Marshall Auerbach. James is a, an accomplished. Russianist and quite wise on foreign affairs. Uh,
0: so, how can um, people, how can listeners uh, tap into it through that internet thingy?
2: Right. You you go to the scrum.substack.com uh-huh. and you're in. And we're offering free subscriptions for a time so people can get used to us. Uh-huh. We're doing pretty okay with paid prescriptions, it's early days. Mm-hmm. Um, And we are going to be delighted to offer really sound, uh, interesting, forthright, plain language, as you find in my columns, uh, on uh, foreign affairs, uh, politics. Marshall Auerbach is going to be doing the economics. He's very wise on economics and markets. Media, you can't write about foreign affairs anymore without being a media critic, I'm afraid. Uh, And culture. We want to. We want to diversify the mix. Some, you know, maybe I'm thinking of an of an essay about Iris Murdoch. You know, uh, somewhere down the road.
0: Well, we got to so run. But if people want to tune into Scrum again or tap into it, it's Scrum. Dot what is it?
2: The Scrum. Yeah. Dot
0: Thank you so much for being with us today. Very, very informative you, and rather rather exciting future for. Uh, Our neighbors to the south, Patrick Lawrence, thanks so much for being with us. Let's
2: end it this way. Con mucho gusto.
0: Con mucho gusto. Thank you so much. You too.
2: Cheers. Bye.
0: And I'm going to go into a a little piece now uh, called uh, Pretty Pink Rose. David Bowie and Adrian Ballou. Enjoy.